This evening we are looking at session number four, Daniel chapter four. We are looking at the life of Daniel and lessons that we can learn from his life. This period is around 582 BC. And this whole chapter is speaking about how God humbled Nebuchadnezzar. And in the process of that, we will also look at what was Daniel's role in that whole situation. So that's going to be our theme. The theme would primarily be when pride gets into a person's life, how does God deal with it? How does God want us to deal with it? If we don't really deal with it, what does God do about it? And how can we help others to help them to be humble rather than proud? George Bernard Shaw was the one who said that there are two tragedies in life. One is to lose your heart's desire and the other is to gain it. He says both is a tragedy. In other words, success as well as a failure is a tragedy. Success is as big a failure as a, uh, a failure itself and a tragedy. Success is as big a tragedy as failure itself. Why? Because sometimes success can take, make us uh, feel that you can take life for granted. I have made it in life, so why should I really bother? So this is why we must understand this principle that, that failure can at times be a gift from God to help us to break off from our self-confidence and to bring us to a point to acknowledge that God is really God and we are not gods. So as an introduction, we will find that this chapter speaks about how God humbled a pagan king, of how God humbled a pagan king, a pagan king who thought he was big, he had everything. The Bible tells us, isn't it, God opposes the proud. Whether it's the pagan or whether the believer, believer or the unbeliever, if there's pride in our hearts, God doesn't like it. God would, would definitely want to show who is God. If there is pride, what we are really saying is, I am God. I know everything. I have everything. But no, we need to understand we are not everything. We are not all powerful. We are not all knowing. God is the one who is God. If you look at the previous chapters, we find that the end of chapter 2, we find in verse 47, after Daniel was able to interpret the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, we find that Nebuchadnezzar confesses to Daniel that truly your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. That's his conclusion. So at the end of chapter 2, once he has been told the dream, he recognizes, hey, Daniel's God is the God far above all gods. At the end of chapter 3, if you notice, when God saves Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace, this is what Nebuchadnezzar responds and says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants. So both at the end of chapter 2, at the end of chapter 3, he acknowledges that, yes, God is indeed God. But even though God taught him that lesson, after a couple of years, you know, when success came in, when he became big, when he had more 
it all went into his head and he thought, I am the boss, I am the boss, I am the one who is in charge. You know? And that can happen in our lives, isn't it? When we have nothing, we may cry out to God and say, God, please help me. I need to succeed in this. I need to do well in this. But when we are doing well, we say, oh, it is because of my blood, sweat and tears. Maybe you are sitting for an exam and you are saying, God, please help me, please help me. And God gives you a good grade maybe, you know. And then you keep getting good grades. Then what do you tend to think? You say, oh, because I studied hard, I did this, I did this. The whole emphasis becomes on I. And then when it all gets into your head, God will have to humble you so that, you know, you would know who is really in charge. Now, it may not happen the same way that it happened to Nebuchadnezzar. But the principle in scripture is that God lifts up the ones who are humble and brings down the ones who are proud of heart. So if God himself resists the proud and brings them down, it is better for us to be humble before God, isn't it? Instead of saying, God, I know everything, you know, and then get punished for it by being you know, humbled and brought low. We must be willing to acknowledge and say, God, you're the one I depend upon. Without you, I cannot do anything. If we have that attitude of dependency upon God, rather than dependency upon yourself, then God is well pleased. So this passage, we will look at a couple of things, four important lessons to be specific. The first one is how God exposes human pride, of how God exposes human pride. If you notice in chapter 4 and verse 1, this is what it reads, King Nebuchadnezzar to the peoples, natives, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. Okay, There's a big shift over here. Chapter 4 starts off with this. Chapter 2 and 3 ended with it, you know. But chapter 4, we find that there's a fundamental shift in his life and his way of thinking. And the rest of the chapter is actually like a flashback, you know, to tell us how he came to this particular conclusion. So he takes us back to an event where God took him from his self-absorbed pride to the place of utter humility. Now, we do not really know when these events that are mentioned in chapter 4 you know, actually took place, but we do know that Nebuchadnezzar's reign was very, very powerful reign. Okay? There was you know, plenty of architectural you know, buildings that he had you know, built during that period, monuments, you know. he had a lot of military achievements. He was responsible for the hanging gardens of Babylon one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. He had, you know, two or three grand palaces. So when you're looking at all these accomplishments and luxuries that he had, it would definitely be very easy for him to get into this situation of, I have made it, I have made it, I have made it, okay? So what does God do, okay? In the second dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, okay, he goes, gives us this flashback, and he speaks about this dream which has terrified and alarmed him. What was the dream? The dream was about a tree that grew up, okay, 
and the tree provided food and shelter for the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Then in an instant, you know, an angel came and you know, demanded that the tree be cut down and only a stump remains, okay, only a stump remains, okay, and that remained for seven periods of time, okay. Now, this is the dream that he had and then Daniel begins to explain the dream to him, okay. This is primarily God speaking to Nicodemus, uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, exposing the pride that he had, a big tree who has everything. God is saying, hey, you're this guy. But what's going to happen to this tree? It's going to be cut down. But it is not going to be totally taken off. A stump will remain. For seven years, that stump will remain. And then it will go, come back you know, to life again and growth. So God was trying to expose the pride that was there in him to know who is really the boss, who is really calling the shots. If Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was the boss, God was saying, hey, I can just cut down this tree at any time. Okay? Now, that's a truth that we must understand. If we think that we are in charge of our life, we have control over our future, anytime God can just cut that down to size, isn't it? We must be humble before God every day. Every day as we wake up, we must thank God for the life that he has given to us that day, for a new day that he has given to us. Never take God for granted. You know, never take God for granted. And that would show how much we depend upon him. C.S. Lewis described pride as the great sin, as the great sin. Now, sometimes we may look at ourselves in comparison with somebody else and say, look at that fellow. Look at how sinful he is. Look at what he is doing. I don't do any of that. And as a result, we can have pride in our lives about how good we are. Or on the other hand, sometimes we can sulk, you know, and look at what others have. They seem to be more intelligent. They seem to have more money. They seem to have more material goods. They seem to have, you know, and a life all put together, working out well in their lives. Now, remember, that is also pride. That is also pride, isn't it? You know, we are looking at them, what they have, instead of, you know, and you are not having it, instead of looking at what you do have. Okay, We must be careful about both these aspects of pride. C.S. Lewis writes you know, like this. He says, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. When you are looking down on people, you cannot see something that is above you. So that's what pride is. Pride is looking down on people, thinking you are the boss, you have everything. So, a first application from this is that pride is one of those things that we often fail to see in ourselves. If I had to ask you right in the beginning, are you proud or humble? A lot of people would say, oh, I am a very humble person. I remember the story of a pastor of a congregation. The church had a competition to show who is the most humble person in, a, in that congregation. And finally, after the competition was over, they decided to give a type-in to that person who was the most humble person in that congregation. 
And they decided the pastor was the most humble person. But that very next Sunday, what did he do? He came to church wearing that typed. Now, what is that? He wants to show to everybody, you know, I won the prize, you know. And as a result, that pin was taken away from him. Pride is saying, I made it. You guys didn't make it. You may not see it in yourself, you know. You may not think. You may think you are the most humble person. And declaring that you are the most humble person is also a sign of pride. So we see it in others very easily. Hey, look at that person. See how proud he is. But it is very difficult to see it in our own life. That is why God has to expose it to us. Okay, God has to expose it to us. Like he did to Nebuchadnezzar, God also shows us through different situations. It could be a failure. It could be somebody speaking to us who is able to observe it very clearly. Or it could also be through scripture itself. Secondly, the Lord warns against human pride. The Lord warns against human pride. So if you notice in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel stepped in and interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Here again, the interpretation is given. What is the interpretation? Nebuchadnezzar is identified as this mighty tree teeming with life that reaches to the heavens, under whose branches the beasts of the field and the bird of the air find sustenance. And the dream shows, it's a warning, about seven periods of time when Nebuchadnezzar is cut down from his lofty position and is transformed in mind and manner into a beastly kind of state. Okay. Now, nothing has happened so far. Remember, this is the dream that has been given. Okay. So, this is a warning that has been given to Nebuchadnezzar. It is good of God, isn't it? Before he does something, he gives a warning. He gives an opportunity for us to respond. He shows us the pride. And if we don't respond, God gives us a, a warning. And the warning here was the dream that was given. Let's see how Daniel handled this situation. If you were Daniel in that particular place, here's a king. We have been under his service. We do not know he may have been a, a strong, powerful king. Your life may have been tough and living under him. And now you get this dream to say, hey, you are a proud person. You are going to be punished. How would you narrate? How would you tell that uh, uh, explanation to the king? Would you go with a lot of you know, big, you know, what shall we say, pride in your own self to say, God has chosen me to show this person who is uh, the boss. I want to cut him down to size. That's not what Daniel did, isn't it? Daniel was a humble person. He could have shown that authority, but that would have been uh, pride. How does Daniel handle this situation? His first response, once he gets, the, in, gets over the initial shock, about, hey, this dream is about Nebuchadnezzar. He says in verse 19, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Okay? He says, you know, I, don't, I wish that this was not really about you, but about your enemy. His concern for Nebuchadnezzar is seen so very clearly over here. But the compassion that he had for Nebuchadnezzar that it would have been good that this was not for him. He does not keep it to himself. Compassion doesn't lead Daniel 
in any way to soften the warning that he knows Nebuchadnezzar has to hear. So, what does he do? He gives the interpretation and then he concludes in verse 27 with a declaration and a warning. And he says in verse 27, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Warning. Daniel is concerned for Nebuchadnezzar. So he says, God, he tells Nebuchadnezzar, this is what God is saying. God is saying this is going to be a punishment. But there's an opportunity. Instead of allowing that punishment to come through, why don't you change your ways so that you know, instead of punishment, there would be prosperity. But oftentimes we notice that even though God exposes the pride in us, God warns about the pride in us, you know, because we have been doing the same thing for a long period of time, we may think, no, God won't do anything like that. Or we may think, no, I'm not you know, wrong, I'm right. You are fooling yourself to think that you are humble when in reality you are proud. This is where we come to application number two. Our pride is a sin that we relabel and explain it away. That we relabel and explain it away. Sin by any other name is still sin, isn't it? So we tend to relabel things. And instead of calling it a, a sin, a person may say, that's just my weakness, that's just my temperament. We think by relabeling something, you know, which God says is a sin, we can get away with it. So even when it comes to pride, we put some types of relabeling. We may call it as my self-esteem, or you may call it as self-respect, or we may say self-love. But when you think of even these three words, what is the common word in all this? It is the word self. Self is at the heart of all this, which is what pride is all about. Let's move on. How does God deal with it? Daniel gave an opportunity to Nebuchadnezzar. Please change your ways, okay? But what did Nebuchadnezzar do? The Lord humbles human pride. Even after exposing his sin of pride, Nebuchadnezzar does not do anything. Look at verse 29. It says, at the end of 12 months. In other words, one year has gone by. One year has gone by. He is still not changed, okay? He is still not changed. God is a patient God. Maybe God has been speaking to you even during these months that we have been doing our studies, you know, to speak about, hey, you need to change. You need to change your ways. You need to make amends of your life, you know. You must you know, uh, commit yourself to God. Don't think you are the boss. But you may be putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And when you keep putting it off, what does God do? Verse 29 tells us, at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Think for a moment. How many times he uses the word I and my in that sentence? He stands up in his uh, maybe terrace and uh, looks out at the whole city of Babylon with all its grandeur and splendor. 
and says, hey, I have done all this. I have done all this. And what is verse 31 tells us, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. And immediately... The word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. Think for a moment. Verse 31 says, While his words were still in the king's mouth. And verse 33 says, Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. Why did God do this? loves punishing people. Here we find when he insisted, God gave him chance. One year went by. He still was living his life the same way. On top of it, you know, he again mentions this, speaks about his pride. It's more like saying, look here, you know, who are you, God? I'm the one who has done all this. So then God cuts him down to size. God cuts him down to size and shows him who really is the boss. In an instant, Nebuchadnezzar is driven from the highest of highs, a king with all of the luxuries one could imagine, to the lowest of lows, into a beast-like subhuman state, until he knows and comes to learn the lesson that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. How many times we have noticed this time and time again in the world today? A guy climbs up the ladder and he thinks he is the boss. He's pulled down. Overnight, he dies maybe, and all that he thought he owned is all gone. Okay? God humbles human pride. Okay? Now, how does he do it today? Okay? How does he bring down a person? How does he expose his pride in our, in our lives? Every time we listen to God's word, God gives us an opportunity, isn't it? Every time we listen to a message. God speaks to us and says, hey, this is something that you need to change in your life. But if you still doing, keep doing the same thing, even after a year, even after two years, the book of Romans tells us, God gave them up. Okay, you want to do this? Go ahead, do it. You want to worship these idols that you have created? Go ahead and do it. And what happens as a result of that? Your life becomes a mess. Your life becomes a mess. But when we respond to what God speaks to us in his word, then there is change in our lives. This is where we come to application number three. God humbles us through the word by exposing our pride, leading us to a conviction of our sin, leading us to a conviction of our sin. My prayer is even this evening as we are studying about pride and as we are studying about doing our own thing, not allowing God to recognize his due place in our lives. If that is true of you, I would encourage you, make sure that you hand over your lives to God and say, God, you are my creator. You are my recreator because you died for me. Make sure that he is in charge of your life. Never think that you own your life. Your life belongs to God and be willing to do what God wants you to do. Otherwise, he will get it done, but it will be Definitely, definitely painful.
this is the one side of God. He wants us to allow him to take control over our lives. He gives us an opportunity. And if that one year was not sufficient, now he gives him seven years, okay? Till you learn the lesson. That's what the, uh, the message was. Till you learn who is really in charge. That is why a stump of the roots was left in the earth, okay? And this was a signal that there was still hope, that there was still hope. And that's the God whom we serve. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He wants everyone to go to heaven. But if a person chooses to go there, you know, in spite of all that God has done for him or her on the cross, he cannot do anything about it because you have chosen that way. But if your heart wants to follow after God, God will put restrictions, God will put obstacles, God will pull you down so that you can recognize who God is, so that you don't go in that direction of hell, but go in the direction of heaven. Fifthly, the Lord restores those who repent of human pride. Verse 34, what does it say? At the end of the days, seven years are over, at the end of that period, Nebuchadnezzar lifted up my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Before his humiliation, where were his eyes consistently set? They were set on his glory. They were set on his kingdom. He couldn't see the, in a, away from all that he had in the past. Now, by the grace of God, he looks to the only one who could restore him out of his misery. So at the end of days, what happens? Nebuchadnezzar lifted up his eyes to heaven. Oftentimes, when a person is sick, when you're lying flat on the bed, as somebody has said, the only way to look is to look upwards. Sometimes sickness draws us to God. Sometimes failure draws us to God because we think, oh, I tried, I messed up. You can only look up. And when we look up to God, God is just waiting to turn things around. Okay? When God humbles us in our pride, and we, by the grace of God, see the disgrace of our sin. The only way is to look upwards toward God, then God is willing to restore us. Jesus is the only one who can offer us restoration and salvation when we are convicted of sin in our lives. This evening, would you be willing to look up to God rather than look into yourself, look in around your surroundings, and think you are better, I am better, look up to God and say, Lord, without you, I can do nothing. If that's your attitude, application number four, worship is the inevitable sign of restoration. A person who worships God rather than himself, that really shows a person is on the right track. Do you worship God every day? Do you give thanks to God every day? for what he has done for you, for who you, for who he is, or as soon as you get up, you know, is it all about yourself? Worship is the inevitable sign of restoration. Now let's move further and look at what was Daniel's ministry to Nicodemus. How did God use Daniel in this whole situation, his encounter with Nebuchadnezzar? Number one, Daniel brought meaning to Nebuchadnezzar's life. 
Daniel brought meaning to Nebuchadnezzar's life. Nebuchadnezzar comes up with a strange dream and Daniel makes sense of it for him, isn't it? Daniel makes sense of it for him. Today, if you notice, a lot of people in this world are searching, searching for meaning, searching for purpose. They are trying to make sense of all that is happening around them, isn't it? They're all confused. What is our role in this? To bring and meaning to what is happening, to bring sense and meaning to the questions that they are facing. Somebody asked the president of Harvard University this question, what is the most difficult problem students on this campus face? And do you know what the answer was? The answer was emptiness, emptiness. Emptiness is the most difficult problem. A lot of young people today, isn't it? They are empty. They're trying to fill that emptiness with something or the other, with pleasure, with sin, what the world has to offer, with games that they can play or with fashion that they can do. They're trying to fill that emptiness. They're trying to find some purpose in life. And God has placed you like Daniel strategically in this world. When people are asking, is there any meaning to all that is happening? Maybe in this COVID situation, people are asking questions. What sense can we make of all that is happening? You and I who know Jesus can share with them that Jesus can give them the meaning and purpose in living. Number two, Daniel's ministry was God-focused. Anytime he explained to Nebuchadnezzar his dream, he did not say, I can give you an answer to this dream. It was always about God is able to give you the answer. And that is what you know, uh, the king Nebuchadnezzar also recognized. If you notice in verse 8, he says, the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Again, in verse 9, he says, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And he mentions that again in verse 18. Three times in this chapter, Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, is able to recognize the difference in Daniel. In this generation, living meaningless lives, empty lives, okay? If they are able to see the difference in your life, that God is living in you, changing you, there's a difference in your life. If they are able to notice that, then that opens up their eyes to respond to God. <laughs> okay. So, if you are going to get them to turn their attention to find the answer, it has to be that they have to see not you, they have to see Jesus in you. That's what Nebuchadnezzar was able to see in Daniel. Thirdly, Daniel's ministry was compassionate, was compassionate. Okay, in verse 19 we read, where he says, My Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. He was compassionate. He did not want that to happen to Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? Now, you and I know that if individuals today do not respond to God's message, the only option is for them to go to hell, isn't it? Present that message to the people around us. Isn't it? Or are we saying, hey, you're going to go to hell? Okay. We should be compassionate. That's the message that we can share with them, that God loves them so much that he does not want them to go to hell. And this is why God sent his only son to die for us on the cross. 
Fourthly, Daniel told the truth. Daniel told the truth. Even though it was difficult. Even though it was difficult. He loved him by telling the truth. If you love somebody, you don't hide the truth, isn't it? If you love your friends, then you're not going to keep the truth for yourself. You're going to share it with them. If you love your friends, if you know that they don't respond to God, the only option is that they will be in hell. You love them, you're willing to tell the truth to them. And finally, in the fifth one, he offered a, a solution. He offered a solution. What is the solution? The solution was one of repentance. Solution was one of repentance. Now, God has placed us in this world to tell the people of this world the truth that Jesus can turn their life around, give them meaning and purpose in this life and in the life to come. That's the message that God has given to us. And we need to be willing to offer this solution of how they can get that message by repenting of their sins and turning to God. Let me close with some quick lessons that we can learn from this section. Number one, be on the lookout for pride. Be on the lookout for pride. Now, you remember, pride can easily creep in unnoticed. Over a period of time, we have become successful, successful, successful. You now we have got good grades, good grades, good grades. So we think we know it all. Okay, Be on the lookout for pride. Because that's how it you know, sneaked around for Nebuchadnezzar. When he started out the kingdom, he may not have had everything. But now as time went by, he has built monuments and he has built grand palaces. And he thinks now he is really the boss. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar had a wrong view of God a wrong view of self, and a wrong view of other people. What was his wrong view of God? He didn't think that God was sovereign. He thought he was really the sovereign one. He had a wrong view of man. He thought that man was everything. That, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it was his blood, sweat, and tears that achieved things, okay? That's a wrong understanding of man. We are nothing without God. He also had a wrong view of other people. He thought that people are to be used for your own ends. Okay, No, people are not to be used. They have to be loved. They have to be served rather than you, know, you being the master. Secondly, understand the consequences of, you know, understand the consequences of pride. Remember Mary in her magnificence says, you know, God scatters those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. God scatters those who are proud. Jesus presented himself as one who was meek and lowly in heart. And Jesus also in Mark chapter 7, when he mislists the, you know, the list of vices, you have pride is definitely on that list. So understand the consequences of a proud person. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And Proverbs 29 verse 23, A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. Consequences of pride. Don't think you will you know, make it all the time. You know? Don't think you are the boss. Okay. But remember also, God is a God of mercy. So number three, follow the solution for pride. Follow the solution for pride. What did Nebuchadnezzar do? In verse 34, this is what we read. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, 
raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. He honored God. He looked up to God. He looked up to God. And then in verse 35, we say, we read, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? What is man's role? He is nobody. You know, God is the one who is the boss. Okay? All the peoples of the earth are counted as nothing. So two things he basically remembered, you know, that there is a God who is sovereign and we are not that God, but God is God. So if we learn to put ourselves in the rightful place as his creation and put God in his rightful place as the creator and worship him and him alone, then he begins to work in our lives. And in due time, as the scripture says, if we humble ourselves before him, in due time, he will lift you up. Let's bow our heads and pray together.